This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Text Control, the creator of the fully featured document editor library for .NET and Angular applications. Did you know their libraries also provide powerful PDF functionality? Instead of programming PDF documents, you can simply use Microsoft Word templates and merge them with data to create pixel-perfect PDF and PDF-A documents. You can easily add fillable form elements like form text boxes, checkbox fields, and drop-down elements to your PDF files. TX Text Control provides developers the complete solution to handle PDF documents in business processes. Try it free and see the live demos at textcontrol.com slash demos. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Richard Campbell, my Canadian buddy up there. Hey. And Layla Porter's here uh, from across the pond, so we're truly multinational today, but mm -hmm. we'll talk to Layla in a second. I, I want to know what's going on in your world, Mr. Campbell. Well, you know, the pandemic continues, and uh, we have been working hard on figuring out the Dev Intersection December event, the Las Vegas event. And the reality is it's, we can't do an in-person event yet. You know, there's a certain amount of planning we need to do. Perhaps restrictions will get lifted, but we don't know for sure. So we've successfully negotiated with the MGM Grand to move the in-person event ahead of year to 2021, as we did in the spring right. with the Orlando event. And in its place, so at least December 9th and 10th, we're going to move the virtual Dev Intersection workshop event to there. So your Blazor workshop will happen uh, I think on December, you're doing both days, right? December 9 and 10. Yeah. And that actually works better for me because this was a weird time for Blazor. It's just, just before .NET 5 comes out and, um, there's, you know, release candidates out there, but mm -hmm. it's not in the box yet. And, you know, we're, so it's actually going to make it easier for me because there's a lot of great stuff to show in .NET 5 for Blazor. That's awesome. And for anybody who was registered for the regular in-person conference, of course, their registration continues on. We are giving free admission to the workshop event too. So Very just good. as a way of saying thanks for sticking with us and, and helping out, you know, it's a, it's a tough time for everyone. And yeah. it's, there's a lot, you know, a conference is a big event. There's a lot of players. There's the, the venue and the AV folks and all the food and, and getting all the logistics to move those things around. It's not a trivial process. It's taken a while. But we're there now, and, uh, and you know, we're looking forward to being able to get together again in 2021. But in the meantime, uh, there's the virtual thing. Yep. And we can do the virtual thing all the time. That's not a problem. We can. But yeah. uh, I'm glad you moved we're it. We're all getting better at it, too, right? I mean, we're all getting more experience yep. working remotely. All right. Well, uh, let's roll the crazy music for Better No Framework. Awesome. <laughs> man what do you got well i uh as you know i love power banks to charge my phones what you know <laughs> okay those things that weigh like five tons and you can like i, I love batteries like okay batteries but, you know when i yeah <laughs> on deep down i have a love of batteries the very first time i interviewed scott stanfield on dotnet rocks and it might have even been within the first 10 episodes Right. Um, you know, we were talking about the future and automation and all this stuff and, I, you know, feeling slightly guilty about taking part in 
automating people out of their jobs and stuff like that, which is a gross overstatement. I mean, that's not, mm-hmm. it, it just can't be that simple, but it never is. You know, at one point, I think I was talking to him, I said, you know, it's conceivable that in the future, the only job that'll be left is programmer. Right. And he said, yeah, programmers and batteries. There's <laughs> <laughs> so always going to be a need for batteries. Yeah. I don't know as if they're made by hand, however, but uh, anyway. No. Well, there's yeah demand for batteries. Certainly, battery technology continues to advance. We could probably do a geek out about that. Uh, totally. Yeah. So, I've been using these 20,000 milliamp per hour uh, anchor kind of batteries for Love a long them. time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that number has gone up. The, what you can buy on Amazon right now, the, the one I found is 50,000 mAh. <laughs> they, oh, man. A hundred and eighty. What? If you get on an airplane, they may not allow it on. Like, that's almost a bomb. It pretty much is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, at that point, it's like, why are they calling it milliamp hours? That's amp hours. Yeah. That's- 50 amp hours. 50 amp hours. So, 185 <laughs> watt hours and maximum of 130 watts. Yeah. No, you could definitely cause a fire, fire with that thing. That's a beast. You can plug How your, heavy is it? You can plug your laptop into it. Okay. Yeah. No, no. And charge your laptop. Okay. So, it's a laptop power bank, not a foam power bank. It's a laptop power bank, but it also has, you know, all the USB ports so you could charge your phones. And they probably charge in like 10 minutes. I don't know. It, <laughs> um, but here's the cool thing, Richard. Oh, yeah, they, you probably get a sparker plug-in. You, you know, okay, what's the cool part? 130 bucks. Oh, wow. That's cheap for what it is. No kidding. Yeah. Well, with a battery that powerful, do I want it to be cheap? <laughs> I don't. No. <laughs> if it starts getting bigger, it's uh, bigger on its own. You need to throw it outside. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to blow. <laughs> yeah. And when it goes, it's really going to go. <laughs> By the way, you, you had a great story. I think you told it on Mondays about a capacitor that. Oh, blowing up that giant capacitor from the. Went boom and little pieces of paper went all over the lab. Yeah. Yeah. I vapor, uh, you know, because I was an idiot. I, <laughs> I think I was maybe 12 too, right? <laughs> Repair. I was back repairing computers. Yeah, and uh, and the and the owner of the place always brought in weird electrical junk, and it's like, kid, take this apart for me. And it was a spectrum analyzer of all bloody. All things. right, and it had uh, like ten pound capacitors in it, like gigantic farad capacitors with bolts, lugs as connectors. And so I thought, oh, I wonder how much charge I can throw into one of those. So I, <laughs> you know, loaded, threw it up on the desk and. Clipped it onto a power supply and turned the power on, a low-frequency AC uh, charge on it. And then, you know, I, I, I was 12. I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I'm down tinkering, taking the machine apart still, and I hear a little click pop, and I sort of look up, and the side of the capacitor started to expand. And That's then, when you got a duck. Yeah, then there was a boom, and then it was dark. Yeah. Because I blew the main breaker in the building, and the repair room was in the back with no window. So, it's completely dark, <laughs> and there's things landing on me, <laughs> and I don't know what they are. It's confetti. <laughs> so, yeah, then the power comes back on, and there is paper spread from the, 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 the insulator of this capacitor. The only thing left of the capacitor, the two lugs. Everything else is gone. <laughs> Right. The power comes back on. Boss walks in the back. He goes, you're cleaning this up. And then he walks back out again. 
<laughs> anyway, you know, I'm, I'm, but I'm good at electronics. No, really. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's my battery for you. And uh, since awesome. this is show 1710, you can go to 1710.pwop.me for a shortcut to that power bank. Who's talking to us today, Richard Campbell? Grabbed a comment off of show 1630, the one we did with one Layla Porter. Maybe you heard of her. But we talked about Visual Studio templates. That's back from April in 2019. I think we did that show at NDC London, uh, you know, back when that was a thing. Uh, and so this comment's about a year old, but it's from Dave Evans. He says, it's a great show. It's incredibly relevant to me right now, although I could have done with it about three or four weeks ago, which is always the case, right? That if it's like just a few weeks too late. Uh, yeah. At my work, I've started a new project, and the architects have outlined a microservice structure using a whole bunch of small .NET core APIs hosted behind an API manager in Azure. This means we're going to have lots of small and independent web API solutions, many of which have all the same requirements, Right. So you can imagine all these different things you have to configure and set all this up for a new API before you even start writing any business logic. You could spend hours as a developer getting all of these different pieces loaded into your project with no guarantee that it will be consistent with the other APIs being built by the other devs mm. in the suite. Uh, and there's only so many microservices they're building, but we're all struggling with this sort of stuff. So he sat down and built a template solution. So it includes things like, they, the, the different projects that already exist overall for like the API service repository layers, the, the contracted domain objects, the unit test projects for each layers, the integration projects, like all of the references to NuGet packages, the swagger definitions. Like there's a list of things here that go into any relatively sophisticated microservices project. And so by having it all configured in templates and then source controlled in what's then known as Azure DevOps, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you have, you can now have a team that's managing that template set. And when they make a change, it automates the build to roll across all projects to be implemented by the, it's affected by the modifications of the templates. So, I mean, it sounds really awesome, everything they put together. And it's just how important, you know, we think templates is a novelty, but for some of the, some projects like this, with this kind of sophisticated architecture, the templates are essential. You'll never get it right. Right. If you don't use them. Right. So, uh, and he finished, Dave finished up his comment with saying, I guess I'm just one of those guys who likes to have a cake, a little added extra fro chocolate frosting, and eat it. Because so, <laughs> he wants all the things. So, uh, and thanks to the great show, you guys rock. Hey, Dave, you rock too. Great comment. Yeah. yeah I'm glad that that worked out for you. And I wish we'd gotten that template showed you just those few weeks earlier so you could have used even more of it. But I thought it was awesome too. Uh, we're having a different conversation with Layla today, but templates are still cool. Mm -hmm. And a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. No charge. Nice. It's a neutron. All right, let's welcome back to the show today, Layla Porter. She is a self-taught .NET web developer and former Pilates teacher and professional horse rider. She's passionate about Microsoft technologies and organizes the Milton Keynes .NET meetup group. Uh, Layla is a developer evangelist at Twilio, based in London. Maybe you've heard of them, Twilio. Those guys. Welcome back, Layla. Hey, how are you? Hey. All? 
We're good. I sounded very American then, I thought. Yeah, full, <laughs> at a moment, yeah. Full of vim and vigor and pep. <laughs> and uh, I've been to Milton Keynes. I've been up there. You have. We managed to get you over to mk.net to give a, a talk. And it was lovely to have you. I did history of .net, I think. You did. Yeah, that was fun. It was a fun room, too. Like, you can tell as you're telling the sort of story of .net, when you hit, when people started getting involved with .net, like, you can see it on their faces, like, now he's talking about me. And it just sort of rolls across the room that way. Absolutely. Many people felt you were speaking to them in that room. <laughs> I remember being at NDC there and uh, talking to every, you know, a couple American, my American friends said, uh, hey, where's Richard? I say, oh, he went to Milton Keynes. Who's that? <laughs> who's who's Milton Keynes? I know Milton Berle, and never heard of Milton Keynes. Nope, <laughs> that's where I was. But I came back. Yeah, it was a fun trip. Uh, it, are congratulations in order? Uh, they might be. You, you got elected to the .NET Foundation board, so I did. Yes. And Kevin, uh, I, what made you run for starters? Here's those people carrying pitchforks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have enough people run, angry with you? Run. Yeah. Do you not have enough people angry with you, Layla? Is that what you were looking for? Like, yeah, I think I was. I'm just a glutton for punishment. This is the thing. <laughs> uh, I think I've always been interested in trying to give back. That's uh, why I run the MK.net uh, meetup group, and I think community has got me where I am now. Mm -hmm. And it helped me get my current job, uh, and I do feel a sense of wanting to give back and wanting to help more people into the industry. Um, and I also wanted to run because I wanted to make sure that uh, women were heard on the, the board as well. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure that I was running for that, that aspect too. And yeah, the, I, for better or worse, like the representation spread is, was not that great in the candidates. Although the board's constitution itself, the election You've got, a, I think, a pretty good diversity of people. It's just, it, I wonder if the model's wrong. That, that I mean, how many women actually even applied to be on the board? Yeah, I don't know how many um, applied. Um, there were two non-male candidates running, mm -hmm. um, including myself. Um, so that's not great out of, I think, 18 candidates right. that went through the selection committee. Uh, so lots of people nominated themselves uh, or were nominated. And then there was a selection committee that were in place to whittle down uh, to a final 18 to actually run. To do the voting. And, and as I understand, the process was very hands off from the ex sort of existing infrastructure at the foundation. Yes, um, I think they got community members to come in and run it mm -hmm. to make sure that it was run by the community for the community a lot of volunteers um and, and i think the from what i recall the selection committee was nothing to do with the board as such uh, nothing with the previous board right. uh, they were completely voluntary well and the previous board was lots of our friends too right like folks we knew like phil hack and uh uh, now the names all jump out of my head, of course. But, yeah, there were great people there. What what um, prompted you to want to run in the first place? Um, I think having a non-conventional path into tech, I wanted to show that there is a place for non-conventional 
techers in the .NET community. There's a there's a lot of I think still people think it it's all runs on Windows. It's all very stuffy, um, and I think people don't realize that. .NET has really moved with the times. It's open source, it's cross-platform, uh, and it's welcoming to so many people from all backgrounds. And I really wanted to start to say, hey, look, I don't come from a computer science degree background. Uh, I've had many careers, and yet here I am um, being successful with .NET as my main tech stack. Um, I really wanted other people to see that uh, and see that, yeah, they don't have to just choose JavaScript because that's the the popular cool thing, that there's a lot to offer in this community as well. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, no kidding. And I, of course, the foundation is also tied into this whole model of how we protect open source projects or, or give people, you know, organizations confidence to use open source projects. Yes. But I guess it's still the question of, like that seems like a fairly simple thing to operate in that sense. What do you need a board of directors for? Like, what is the task that you folks have in front of you? So we have several, several different tasks, I guess. And um, I'm still trying to figure those out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the whole board is still trying to figure those out. Um, we, we need to be there to help guide, uh, committees and groups on what should be in the foundation, what open source we feel should be in there. We're, we're there to represent the members. We're elected by the members. Mm -hmm. um, all, like the vast majority of us are not Microsoft employees. And so we are there to be the voice of the members and go in and look at what should be included in the foundation's uh, group of projects, open source projects, and and also what shouldn't. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question because you, there still is a steady influx of projects coming into the foundation. So you actually involved in the selection process for that? Um, so we have a projects committee and they get more into the nitty gritty of it. Uh, I'm not on that committee. I can go and have a look at that if I want, but we do vote as a board on the addition or removal of all the projects. Uh, so I do get oversight into, um, into what's coming in and what's proposed to be leaving. Um, and we get a, a digest of the reasons why on, on all the accounts and then we vote on it. So it is quite transparent in that respect. Why would a project leave the foundation? Mm. So there's lots of reasons, actually. Um, sometimes they may be for a commercial project or okay. product. So um, if a project is there and it's open source, but the use of it needs a subscription or something, mm -hmm. I think that's a reason why it might leave. Right. So shifting business models being, being the example. Yes. Because I, yeah, I would presume so, if they had that business model already, they wouldn't be accepted into the foundation in the first place. I wouldn't have thought so. Mm -hmm. And I'm not too involved in in that. I'm still learning about what's accepted sure. into the, the um, foundation right. and such. But my, from my understanding, it, it could be that uh, the licensing has changed as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've changed uh, the, the license on the project. So maybe a company then can't use it for whatever reason. And then that may be a shift in how 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 we might allow them to be a part of the foundation. Yeah, but of course, we always we focus on this aspect of this umbrella over all these uh, open source projects. But are, are there a broader reach? Like, there's all this conversation about how to sustain open source projects over a, a long time. 
the fundraising mechanisms or, you know, Patreon, things like that. Do you see the foundation getting more involved in that? Yes, we definitely want to support maintainers more. Um with sponsorship and and help with that um being a maintainer is is a tough tough job mm-hmm. and uh, we definitely want to support and celebrate maintainers they do an amazing job so one of the things that we want to do is give some of these non-microsoft projects credibility right. uh, and then that allows businesses and enterprise to use these open source projects and maybe support the the developers of these and the maintainers uh, so it, it's a really important aspect of making sure that the the .net as a as a community remains open source and and not just bound to microsoft yeah i mean that's always been the debate here is that the fa- the foundation always would ha- seem to be a thing that microsoft was running rather than the community well, look, obviously there's been a lot of energy to to try and put into separating that I, I just don't know if it's even possible do you see other big companies getting involved with the foundation that would make it more generalized yes uh so we have several sponsors we've got five big corporate sponsors aws is one of those mm-hmm. um and so by bringing in these sponsors um and trying to separate ourselves from being under the umbrella of microsoft and coming out and being where open source where cross-platform where available here as, as a community for all different companies and we're not bound to anything in in particular i think that's a, a good way of moving forward uh, and making sure that we're not just considered microsoft's child right. <laughs> hey, people still equate.net to windows because you know that's where the that's where the moniker came from and so yeah. are, you, are you finding that uh, people out in the wild not outside i mean outside of the microsoft community are still battling that yeah big time Uh, and it is one of the things that drove me to run because i want to find a way that we can spread the word that net is available on all platforms Mm -hmm. whether you're on windows mac linux whatever uh that it will run on anything you can stick it in a container run it on any old box anywhere on a raspberry pi whatever you want um and people still come to Mm -hmm. it i mean i i live code on stream and so many people come and go oh my goodness you're you're doing dot net on a mac how is that even possible (laughs) well it's cross-platform don't you know um so it's really important to do this kind of outreach uh, and raise awareness i think there's another aspect of bias too which is that there's a non-trivial number of developers in the microsoft space that pretty much still are only using Microsoft libraries. They may be open source libraries, but they rarely seem to stretch themselves into other open source libraries that are compatible with .NET. Yeah, that's something that we're trying to change. And this is one of the reasons for the foundation is that we have these libraries here. We give them that credibility. And and that means that enterprise can can come in and when they're reviewing what packages that they want to use, whether, I don't know, it's their security teams or whatever, by being part of the foundation, we give them that that level of security. And and sort of confidence. But again, I guess the big part is is that maintenance. I mean, the nice thing about an open source project at Microsoft is generally there are employees working on it every day. 
Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then with the, with a, a smaller project, like, let's pick on Jimmy Bogart. It's kind of an easy <laughs> one, really. Right? Like we, poor old Jimmy. Poor old Jimmy. Well, you know, he, he pays the price for getting there first in a lot of respect, for our yeah. community anyway. You mean, Automapper was one of the first open source projects that I can think of that was firmly in the Microsoft space. Uh, and he's, you know, he's taken the beating first so many times on any of this. But if I'm an, an enterprise architect, and I've been an enterprise architect, I've been in therapy ever since. Uh, <laughs> you've got to look at that and go, who the heck is Jimmy Bogart? Like, why would I chew? Why would I bet a piece of software my organization expects to run for 10 or 20 years on this guy? Yeah. And, and, he has produced amazing open source stuff. I mean, right from when I first started in my uh, tech career, I used Automapper and I didn't understand open source even then. I was like, oh, this is cool. This saves me manually mapping things. And I didn't even understand any of this mm-hmm. then. So he's been right there from the beginning or his software. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the companies I worked in subsequently when I'm like, oh, we should use Automapper. And they're like, no, why would we want to use that? And you think, well, actually, this is really useful. It saves time. And I think this is why it's so important that we try and support maintainers. So, you know, I know that there's encouragement for larger companies, the enterprise that use open source to actually um, pay some sort of financial aid towards open source maintainers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a way that you know, we can try and help encourage that uh, and help build more open source software and and support the maintainers um, because it's not easy. People think, well, why should I pay for it? It's free. I can grab it. Um, but then they start putting in issues. So there's lots of ways that you can start to support maintainers, whether it's pay per issue or, or things like that. Um, and I do think this is vital and, and there needs to be guidelines around it mm-hmm. on how we educate enterprise and business to support maintainers themselves. Yeah. And of course, Jimmy's the most credible person. Like Automapper is a 10 plus year long project. They are on version 10. Mm. So, you know, anybody would have a tough time arguing that this is a mature piece of software that clearly has been supported for a long time. But how many projects never get to this point because they don't get that support? And And there is people holding back from utilizing it. I certainly assess open source projects very carefully before I consider them for anything I'm working on. Yeah. And I think you are not alone in that, Richard. Mm -hmm, For better or worse. Uh, But yeah, and it's, I mean, I think that link at the bottom that says supported by the .NET foundation is powerful. Like it's an important part of the equation. Yeah. But it's not the only thing. I don't know that it's, it's enough that, that, uh, or that people are actually still choosing because it is that maintenance part. Will, if I have a problem can I get it fixed Yeah, know, or dealt with? Can I get support? I think that's always going to be a question. Um, I th- I'm trying to remember if we have guidelines on how well-maintained a project needs to be before it's accepted into the foundation. Uh, I don't know that. I'd have to look that into that. Yeah, and, and, what, and what is, you know, that's a great definitional concept. What is well-maintained? Like, what am I looking for? When was the last time this thing was updated? What outstanding issues has it got? You know, how who's accepting PRs? Like, I worry about a project where only one person's accepting all the PRs. 
Likewise, you know, yes. Like those are the little things I realize I instinctually do today when I'm looking over an open source project. How alive is this? How many people care about it? You know, I look at the at the contributions and I'm looking for this. It's not just the person who led it. You know, we love Jimmy, but he's only still only one person. But that there's three or four other committers that have got lots of commits, that they are almost disciples. Like, and if those people have PR rights as well, it's like, that to me is a healthy project. But there's a few yes. people that could accept PRs and understand the direction of the project. Like that I strikes me as that's what healthy looks like. Yeah, it, it is. We've been trying to discuss on the board of directors what uh, constitutes a healthy open source community. And there's so many factors around this. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite new to this kind of this side of open source. I've used open source, I've contributed, but I've never considered fully how bigger job it is to maintain open source software, which is stupid. Of course, it's huge. But I, I'm now having to learn about what does constitute a healthy uh, open source project? What's a healthy community? So I'm learning all the time on this, which mm -hmm. is, is really interesting. Uh, it's exciting for me that you're in there. I can imagine also that, um, you know, it's going to depend um, from project to project. There, uh, It must be very hard to come up with formulas that work across all kinds of projects. Yes, and I think this is why we have the committee as well. Um, they have experienced contributors and maintainers on the committee who know all the different ins and outs of open source software and can make informed decisions on this and then bring those decisions to the board at large. Uh, and then I can start to learn from how they've made their decisions. So I become more experienced on how to look for these things. And folks, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of music to code by before October 24th, 2017, you are eligible to win a free six month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download music to flow by in your app store and flow on. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. Yo. And here's our friend Layla Porter, new to the uh, .NET Foundation and, uh, and one of the directors. And so, of course, we're grilling her on everything she's supposed to know already. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. Uh, but it is... Actually, can we talk about the the handoff process? Like the previous board, 2019, I mentioned Phil already, but also, you know, Sarah Chips is there, Iris Class, and the, the John Skeet, the Indomitable, uh, and Ben and Claire. Uh, did you meet with all of them? Or like, w was there a moment as the board is transitioning, like they, to sort of carry some knowledge forward? Yes. The very first meeting we had a week after the election results were announced, uh, we had a 90 minute or two hour handover session with the outgoing board. Mm -hmm. So they sort of spoke about all of the individual committees, um, what they've been up to. And, uh, they gave some advice and, and just basically set us up really well. They were fantastic. You know, I think about other software foundations like the Apache Foundation and so forth. And it's like they seem they're older 
and they and and you know let's argue more mature there's a period you're in here right now that is this transition to maturity that is a sort of a unique effort. Like you're going to do a bunch of things right now. And I think the previous board was also heavily involved in this to build up the things that are necessary to have something that then needs to be maintained. Yes. I think the previous board were the pioneers. And so they, they had a lot of stumbling blocks and they've learned a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. and we're trying to learn from everything that they've done as well. I guess they were the first elected board. Right. And they formed lots of committees we learned and then they scaled them back. And so being able to learn from their knowledge and their, their mistakes Mm -hmm. has been really invaluable. And I, I think. We, this first, or I should say, this second elected committee is a little bit odd because half of us are having a shortened term and the rest are running for the full term. Right. Because they want to stagger the, um, the board members. Uh, so some of us have a quite a short term to make our mark. Uh, so you feel like this little sense of, well, I need to do something in, in the short time I have. Uh, so I'm one of the, the members that's on the short term. Um, How short is short, Layla? It's a year. Okay. So it doesn't, you know, it's October already. <laughs> and uh, I feel like, oh my goodness, I've got only a matter of months to push through all of the ideas that I want to to try and get kickstarted. Of course, I could run again, but there's no guarantee that I'll be uh either put through to the election by the, the nomination committee or indeed be elected by the community. Right. But again, I guess it's got to be a sense of urgency. You only have so much time and you still have a job. Like you've got other things you've got to do too. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I definitely want to try and uh, forge ahead. I've got a lot of initiatives that I want to start um, and have already got those underway, mm-hmm. uh, which is really exciting. Um, so I am excited. I do think we're making progress and decisions are being made. And I think we're in a really good position now. How many members in the foundation? Around 800. So we'd like to grow that for sure. sure. Well, it has, and it has grown without a doubt. Uh, oh, yes, it, it, absolutely. It could be much bigger. There are millions of .NET developers, after all. Yes. Hmm. So that's one of our first focuses, is uh, to try and uh, grow the foundation. We have the uh, membership committee, but all of us are working towards raising awareness. A lot of people still don't know that, that the foundation exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to change that and encourage people to join. So uh, it's one, one of the things I've been working on now does one join the foundation only as a project or can an individual developer um you know join the foundation and offer to help out with things oh absolutely we love individual members uh, so i originally joined the foundation i'm not a maintainer i just joined as a member to support the community and and just to be part of that community so we would love more and more people, all those .NET developers out there, uh, regardless of your level or background, just to come and join the foundation mm. and uh, learn more and learn from each other. And there is a fee. There is. So 
We don't call it a fee. It is a suggested donation. There are some thoughts about this as well. So uh, no decisions have been made. Um, So it is a suggested $100 to join. Right. Um, But we don't want that to be a barrier of entry. And we want people from all walks of life and all, um, all countries, wherever they may be, to be able to be a part of this and cost shouldn't be a barrier. So we only say it's a suggested uh, donation. And if someone can't afford that, uh, they can make less or they, they don't have to pay money at all. We, we welcome all our members and we don't want cost to be a barrier. Right. I appreciate that. In the the developing world, that's a lot of money and a hundred American dollars. It certainly is. And we have, there's a huge thriving .NET community in Ghana, Nigeria, all along um, in Africa. And $100 is a huge amount. Same goes for India and and Malaysia and Indonesia. uh, And a lot of these uh, up and coming developer communities, Mm -hmm. but $100 is a huge amount uh, to to pay into something. And and we... Mm -hmm really want all of these developers and builders to be a part of our community without any fear of, well, I, I, I can't join because I don't have this hundred dollars spare that I can just give to this, this foundation. Yeah. Yeah. It occurs to me that every other board member this time around is an American. Yes. I am the only one that's not in North America, yeah. yeah. So I mean, we we still are battling this issue that that uh, we we need a broader uh, representation of the .NET community. Yeah, I I was saddened not to see more people uh, from across the world run yeah. uh, for the board, and it's very difficult. Time zones are difficult, mm-hmm. but we. Um, so one of the things I did was form the executive committee. Mm-hmm. which is how we act as a board, how we go about doing things within the board, not outside. So this goes to how are we going to work asynchronously? Mm-hmm. What processes can we have to track what we're doing to log our ideas? Uh, and that's for future board members as well, uh, trying to put these processes in place to make it a much more globally friendly uh, environment. How often is the board meeting? At the moment, we're meeting once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're seeing how it goes. The committees can meet more often. So um, when did we start? We sort of kicked off the end of July, didn't we, August? And um, I've already had the executive committee meet three or four times now. So mm-hmm. we've been really trying to um, get the momentum to set some processes in place. And uh, I believe some of the projects one, uh, committee has met uh, several times as well. Um, and uh, we're just trying to get some cadence to the meetings. Uh, and exciting. Uh, next week, we have our all hands event as well. Uh, we've got Q&A, we're all going to be uh, available for a, a general all hands for all of our members to come and, and ask us questions. And uh, so we're very excited That's about that. That's a great that. idea and a, and a fun thing to do. But again, time zones are challenging. It means that you're always working on this in the evening, being in the UK, yes. where someone yeah. like Beth is in California, as I recall. So, you know, that's yes, a big time Yes, and uh, Sean Wildermuth, I think, is is 
more westerly as well. So he's Atlanta. It is difficult. Yeah. I think he's in Atlanta. Yeah, I think, (laughs) yeah. It's funny. I I think I know where pretty much everyone lives. Like, (laughs) Javier's in... Indiana. Why do I know this? Yeah. Okay, if I, it's like because you know everybody, yeah, Richard. That's, that's, that's why pretty much everyone in here has been on the show. Um, Rodney <laughs> Littles has not been on the show, and that's my failing, not his by far. Well, get on it. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> clearly my mistake without a, without a doubt. Things things we definitely should be doing. Um, but yeah, you know, I think an Australian. Uh, I would. I was on someone from Southeast Asia, right? Maybe Malaysia or. Or, or Thailand, like there's great development communities there. They're using .NET. Yeah. You know, Indian representation, like it, it, it's so powerful to think about, you know, what these things could become when we get more members and more people involved and start looking at the requests of that community. The Western African community, I, I'm with you. I've had some extraordinarily good conversations uh, on technology there, both on the IT and dev side. And, you know, our community would be better with their participation. I could not agree more. And we we do have plans to try and raise awareness and encourage more members. And uh, starting with the all hands. We've, uh, we've been considering lots of different options. As you know, I'm uh, a streamer on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been thinking of how, how can the foundation have, uh, community meetings on Twitch just to be more available across time zones, uh, and just to be on lots of different platforms. And we're, we're looking at how to communicate with our members and create more of a sense of community as well. I think you need to have a, a, chat platform and some way for your communities to congregate and meet each other and actually build that community. So we're actually going to be trialing Discord as well for the foundation and our members. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Versus versus Teams or Slack. So the problem with we've had with Teams is the desktop app isn't multi-tenant at the moment. Right. And Tell me we're about finding it. it yeah, even the, within the board, it's really difficult because people are having to log in and out. Um, and, you know, they don't want to do that during the working day. As you say, we're, we're all voluntary here and we have day jobs. Yeah. So we were trying to look at something that didn't require, uh, which was completely separate from the business tool that Teams is. Uh, so we, we thought we'd try Discord and it, it's, it may have a, a broader reach as well because uh, a lot of people use it in the gaming community. Yeah, and and the streamer community as a whole. Yes, it's kind of it, it's kind of neutral territory. Discord more so than any yes. than a lot of other products. To to, to to let's go there, and it's certainly Discord does a good job of dealing with the multi tenancy effect. Yes, it's exceptionally good at that and it's one of the reasons that we wanted to trial it we we do have a slack but slack can be difficult i i find slack is difficult to moderate it's harder and one of the things i really like about discord and i've been learning today actually with a, a community member who's very good at discord and and he's been helping me learn all the nuances of Discord. And it's it's a very clever tool. And I think it's a really useful tool to bringing communities together. Well, if it works for gamers, they have the, you know, they have the ability to generate more toxicity just about anything else I've ever seen. 
So if you can manage gamers with it, you know it's got good management tools. Yes, <laughs> very true. I think the challenge with Slack is you really have to be paying attention. If you get behind in conversations, uh, you know, they do, there are search, you know, there is a search feature, but um, uh, that's where it gets really annoying for me. It's like anything. You got to keep on top of it. Yeah. And it, and it, I would argue that Discord is the worst for the sort of conventional .NET developers. Like, what? Another tool? Yeah. Couldn't we just use, and it'll be Slack or Teams or one of the other things. Like, it's always challenging to decide you're going to have another tool. Yeah. How many chat apps have I got on my phone right now? Like, save me. Oh. Um, the problem with all of these is that they're ephemeral as well. Yes. And um, I do think it's a challenge and all communities come up against this challenge. So we're going to try Discord. Sure. It may not work. Yeah. We may we may bin it at the end of the year or in six months or in two years. We mm -hmm. don't know. Um, but we definitely want to give it a go. We want to try and bring communities together. We have been using github to manage that but it's not the easiest way to actually have conversation and, and create community we wanted an environment where a a developer that's new to the industry uh so maybe a junior developer new to open source new to.net can come in and safely ask what they'll call stupid questions of course we all know there are no stupid no. questions but they can come in and in a safe uh, well-moderated environment, get the help that they need, the encouragement to grow, to start contributing to open source software. And I think that's what's really exciting. And that's what I really want to get off the ground in the next three months. Like, I think a part of your challenge is you want to do these things, but also be very transparent while you're doing them, that folks can see what you're doing. Yes. And the conversations that are going on. So, you know, w right now, where are those meeting minutes living? Like, how do folks read this? So, at the moment, we have got a, a new company helping us out called Virtual Inc. Mm -hmm. uh, they are super at getting our minutes and helping us organize everything. Um, we are still trying to decide where things are going. Right. Uh, however, Claire Novotny has started the State of the Union um blog posts on the .NET Foundation website, which is trying to summarize a lot of what's happening behind the scenes in an effort to be far more transparent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and interesting, interesting problem too, right? It's just like where they're going to live. And I was thinking GitHub is like, that's not a bad place for minutes, actually. You know, it's, yeah. it's good at archiving that, that kind of thing. But if you, you want people to be able to consume it and, and see it easily and, uh, and to understand where things are going and, and to be transparent that, that folks can scrutinize at any time. Mm. No simple answers here. And, and, you know, scrutiny is always a challenge too. Yeah. We will make mistakes. We know that, but we're, we're trying our best to find a happy medium that serves the vast majority of our members. Yeah, absolutely. But I see the sort of core missions when I look at these State of Union uh, comments about maintaining projects, keeping outreach for, for transparency, generally lifting the visibility of .NET Foundation as a whole, and growing the membership base. Are those the things? Am I missing anything? Like, those seem to be the main projects. Um, yes, it's membership, sponsorship projects, uh, community, mm -hmm. and um, outreach as part of the community, and, and then how we act 
within as well, what tools we're using, yeah. how we are staying on top of everything. I'd say that pretty much sums it up. I feel like the pandemic may be actually serving you because going virtual means everybody's equal, effectively. It's not at NDC London where, you know, we had the luxury to all be together. I think this has been one of the good things to come out of 2020, to be honest, mm -hmm. is the fact that you don't need to spend, I don't know, $3,000 on a flight to San Francisco to go to a conference. It's virtual now. Mm -hmm. It's really leveling the playing field. It's making it uh, technology and knowledge accessible to people all over the world. And I think that's really exciting. And, and we've got to really take all the positives we can out of this year. And that is a massive win in my books. Yep. Tough year. No question. Yeah. So what's next? What's next for you? Gosh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> um, I'm just going to push ahead with the community and getting Discord up and running. I'm excited for the All Hands next week um, and just raising awareness. And I really want to start celebrating our members. Uh, so there's a lot of exciting things coming on. And as I've said, I've, I've got that time constraint hanging over right, me. Yeah. So uh, I'm really got a fire lit under me yeah. yeah that's great well Layla thanks a lot it's been great talking to you today likewise thank you so much for inviting me on again absolutely and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm